calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Welcome to the serialized audiobook Nocturnal by number one New York Times bestselling author Scott Sigler, performed by Phil Giganti. This novel contains adult situations, violence, and is meant for mature audiences. Nocturnal is available in print, ebook, and unabridged ad free audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit slash nocturnal. Chapter 58 Marco Rex's heart beat so fast. He looked at the bloody man standing in his bedroom. The man held a gun in one hand, a blood-dripping hatchet in the other. Two red spots dotted the chest of his white tank top, at least where Rex could see it beneath the tangled beard that hung down to the man's belly. The man's green baseball hat said, John Deere in yellow letters. Rex recognized him. The man from the street. The man who had tried to stop Rex from getting the bum's change. The bloody man should have seemed like a walking nightmare. He'd just killed a cop in Rex's hallway. He had weapons. Rex had nowhere to run. But instead of feeling afraid, Rex felt a warmth blossom inside his chest. A vibration that went, Ba-da-bum-bum. The vibration told Rex that everything would be okay. He just knew it. Hello, the man said. Hi, Rex said. The man stared down. He looked nervous. My name is Marco. I'm Rex. The bearded man quick-peeked back into the hall. He nodded, as if satisfied with what he saw or didn't see out there. He faced the door, his hands in front of him. Was he... Was he undoing his pants? He was. Rex heard a quick trickle of pee hitting the body in the hall. Then the man zipped up and turned back into the room. You peed on him? The bearded man nodded. Yeah. Had to mark it, you know. Uh, I think you should maybe come with me. Why? And why wasn't Rex afraid? Sly told me to watch over you, Marco said. I saved you from those cops. But cops are like bugs. There's always more on the way. Sly. Rex knew that name. He had sketched it on one of his drawings. You're very important, the man said. Please come with me. I'll take you home to your family. Rex stared at the stranger. Family? That was crazy. His dad had died when Rex was little. Roberta was also dead. Rex had seen to that. That was his family. 
So why did Rex know this bearded stranger was telling the truth? The man quick peeked again. Seeing nothing in the hall, he continued, We've waited a long time for you, a real long time. We can protect you. The man pointed to Rex's desk, to the drawing of Alex and Isaac lying there. We can protect you from them. Rex looked at his own drawing. He felt raw fury blossom up again, push out the good thoughts, the nice feelings. I hate them, he said. I want... You want to what, my king? King? Long live the king. Rex stared at the stranger, looked into his eyes. In there, Rex saw love, acceptance, and devotion. I want to kill them, Rex said. I want to see Alex and Isaac die. The man smiled. Then come with me. Rex felt a new sensation, one he knew from his dreams. He felt the thrill of the hunt. Rex made his decision. Okay, let's go. The backyard opens up into... I know, Marco said. I've been watching. Marco's hands moved faster than Rex could see, lifted him, tucked him under one blood-splattered arm like a running back tucking a football. Rex's old world rushed by in a blur. He couldn't wait to see his new one. They moved through another alley, into yet another building's dark basement. The fourth building so far, and Rex hadn't seen a person in any of them. Marco moved like he knew the places, like he'd been through these paths a hundred times before. They came out the other side of the basement to a strange space, long, narrow, filled with brown plastic trash cans and bits of garbage. Rex could see the sky through metal grates about ten feet above his head. Was he under a sidewalk or something? He didn't have time to look because Marco moved fast. Rex followed, his shoes grinding damp dirt against the uneven concrete. Two steps down on the right led to a dented metal door set in an old stone archway. On the door, Rex saw a shiny new master lock. Had they hit a dead end? Marco reached, not for the door's locked handle, but for the outside edges of the door's frame. He slid his fingers between that frame and the stone arch surrounding it, then grunted as he swung the whole thing open. That was so smart. Everyone would try the handle and find it locked. They wouldn't think to move the whole door, frame and all. Even if someone did figure that out, they probably couldn't budge it. It looked really heavy. Marco stepped aside, holding the thing open for Rex. Through here, my king. Rex stepped through. Marco slid in after him, then pulled the door back into place, shutting off all light. It's dark in here, but I know the way, Marco said. Hold my hand. Rex reached out. His tiny hand vanished inside of Marco's. The man's skin felt warm. His hand was rough and calloused. Marco gently pulled Rex along the dark, cramped tunnel. Minutes later, Rex heard the grinding sound of an ill-fitted metal door opening against concrete. Marco pulled Rex inside and let go of his hand. The grinding sound again, then the sound of Marco's steps. A light came to life. Another basement, 
This one seemed completely unused. Rex looked around the place. It was a real crap hole. There wasn't even furniture, just a back corner strewn with blankets and a beat-up wicker chair. A single naked bulb hung from the ceiling, held up only by its long black electrical cord. A pile of clothes sat in one corner. This place was scary. This was the kind of place you'd think child rapists took children. But Rex knew Marco wasn't a rapist. Rex also knew you didn't need a grungy basement to rape a kid. Father Maloney hadn't needed one. Since fleeing the house, Rex had been running behind Marco. Now that they were face to face, Rex saw that the bloodstains on Marco's white wife-beater had spread, making the man's shirt pinkish-red, although he didn't appear to be bleeding anymore. Marco didn't seem concerned about what looked like a serious wound. Place is a mess, Rex said. He didn't know what else to say. Marco froze. His eyes grew wide. I'm sorry. You want me to clean? Uh, no, it's fine. Marco let out a huge sigh of relief. How funny. This man had killed a cop with a hatchet, but he was afraid of what Rex thought. It didn't make sense, but then again nothing did. So much happening, all of it so overwhelming. Roberta, that cop, Oscar, Jay, the dreams, the drawings, this man, the gun. Now this man's dirty place in the basement of some building Rex didn't know. This strange man who seemed to to worship Rex. Marco stripped off his ruined shirt. He tossed it to the floor and walked to the pile of clothes. He dug around for a second, then found another wife-beater and put it on. It wasn't clean by any stretch of the imagination, but at least it wasn't bloody. Marco, how long are we staying here? Until dark, he said. Best to move at three or four in the morning. I shouldn't have killed that cop, my king. Cops will be missed. But I didn't know what else to do. He was pointing a gun at you. Rex remembered the shaggy-haired, gold-toothed cop kicking in the bedroom door, aiming that gun at his face, telling him to lie down on the floor. That cop had wanted to hurt Rex. Everyone wanted to hurt Rex. Everyone except Marco. You saved me, Rex said. Thank you. Marco looked down and away. Anything for you, my king. Why do you keep calling me that? Because it's what you are. Marco breathed deeply through his nose. I can smell it. We'll stay here. Then Sly and Pierre and others will come. Those names again. The names from his dreams. Are they the ones that killed Oscar and Jay? Marco nodded. I helped. We want to hurt the people that hurt you, my king. My king. This wasn't a trick. This wasn't a game. These strangers had killed for him. Killed the people who had made his life hell. How did you know about Oscar and Jay? We felt your hate, Marco said. It started a few days ago. Maybe a week. I'm no good with time. We saw images of the people who hurt you. Only those of us who walk on the streets, though. 
The others, they ain't felt nothing. I've never felt anything like it, my king. Sly thinks we were seeing parts of your dreams. A week ago. That was about the time Rex got sick. He'd started dreaming a few days after that. We felt your hate for the preacher, Marco said. And for those other boys. We searched every night. We found them all. At first, Sly told us to wait, because Firstborn wouldn't want us to act. Firstborn? Had Rex heard that name in his dreams? Who is Firstborn? He runs things, Marco said. He'll be so mad when he finds out, but... Well, people hurt you. We had to kill your enemies. Marco said that last sentence like it was the most obvious thing in the world. Something as natural and inevitable as drawing a breath. Father Maloney, Oscar and Jay. Rex wished he could have seen them die. The people who hurt me, Rex said. There are more of them. The ones in the drawing in my room. Alex and Isaac. Do you know where they are? Marco looked down again. He said nothing. Marco, are they still alive? Do you know where they are? Marco nodded. Yeah, we know where they are. Sukkah is following them. Rex didn't know that name, but if Alex and Isaac were being followed, maybe Rex could watch them die. They'd beat him. They'd tortured him. And why? He'd never done anything to them. People like that deserve death. Rex thought of the strength he'd felt when he wrapped that belt around his mother's neck. He wasn't the same helpless kid who couldn't stop Alex Panos from breaking his arm. That kid was gone forever. Take me to them, Rex said. Marco shook his head so hard his long beard flopped from side to side. No, my king. Sly would want me to keep you safe. I need to call him when he comes out again so we can take you home. Rex wasn't going home, not ever again. Then he realized that Marco wasn't talking about Roberta's house. Home? Where is that? Marco looked down again. It's where we live. Maybe Rex would live there, too. It was probably a lot different from the only home he'd known for thirteen years. Marco, how did you know where I lived? Sly told me. How did Sly know? Marco shrugged. Sly says that's not important. But I think maybe Hillary told him where to go. Hillary? Another name that didn't ring any bells. Who were these people? And why did they think Rex was their king? Maybe. Maybe because Rex really was a king. Maybe he'd always been a king and just hadn't realized it. But right now, none of that mattered. What mattered was the hate burning in his chest. Hate for Isaac. Hate for Alex. He couldn't stop thinking about revenge. Rex had power now, and those two would pay for what they had done. He wouldn't accept anything less. I want to know where Isaac and Alex are, Rex said. I want to watch them die. Marco shook his head. No, no, Sly would kick my ass. 
Marco, am I your king? Marco stared, then nodded slowly. Rex felt so confident, so strong. If I'm your king, then you have to do what I say. Tonight, we're going to get Alex Panos. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Chapter 59. Aftermath. A news helicopter hovered overhead. A uniformed cop waved Pookie's shit-brown Buick between two black and whites that blocked off Pacific Street. Outside this improvised perimeter, a mostly Chinese crowd gathered, staying as far away as they could from the scowling cops while still being able to see the action in front of the house. Inside the perimeter, more police cars, marked and unmarked, were already parked, their lights flashing. An ambulance sat silently. Its lights were off. The paramedics just stood there. Cops were everywhere, and they all knew they were too late. Brian sensed the tone. Angry, somber, vengeful. Bobby Pigeon was dead. Every cop here, Brian included, wanted to find the bastard responsible and make him pay. Pookie parked. Brian got out. He and Pookie ducked under yellow police tape and approached the house. Only minutes earlier, most likely, the area had been a flurry of activity bordering on chaos. When the call for Officer Down had gone out, every cop within twenty blocks had stormed in. Stephen Coning and Ballpuller Boyd had been the first homicide cops to arrive. They were running the scene. Brian and Pookie started up the seven concrete steps. Atop the steps, there were three doors side by side. The one on the left hung open. Ballpuller Boyd was standing in the doorway, phone pressed to ear. He saw them coming, then quickly finished his call and put the phone in his pocket. Close it, Chang, he said. Coning and I got this one. He's inside with the CSI guys. What's your role here? We had the Oscar Woody case, Pookie said. I'm guessing Sharrow will put us back on it, considering... Verdi was here because the deprived Chuck kid might be involved. We'll stay out of your way while you look for Birdman's killer, and we'll feed you whatever we find. Boyd nodded. Works for me until we hear different from Shero. The kid's room is the last one on the left. Okay, here's what we've got so far. Birdman's sidearm is unaccounted for. Verdi said Birdman got off two rounds, and we found two forty caliber shell casings. We found one bullet in the wall. It went through the perp and into a picture frame. No trace of the other bullet. I hope it's still in the fucker. Brian hoped so, too. It would be fitting if Bobby managed to kill his own killer. How about a description? Brian said. Verdi get a good look? Ballpuller stroked his walrus mustache. Yeah, six feet plus, long black beard, big gut, white wife beater, jeans, boots. Might be carrying a hatchet and or Birdman's Sig Sauer. 
We've got a bolo out on that description. Plus one for the deprived Chuck kid. Looks like the kid strangled his mother with a belt sometime yesterday. His picture is already over the news. We'll get him. Pookie nodded. How's Verdi? Alive and uninjured, Boyd said. Other than that, not good. Rich Verdi had failed to protect his partner. Right now, he'd be feeling guilty and worthless, like any cop would feel in the same situation. Boyd reached into his pocket for his phone. If you guys want to take a look, make it fast. Robertson is on the way. I don't want the house full of feet and fingers when he gets here. He stepped aside and started dialing. Brian and Pookie walked in. Brian smelled death, faint and growing, but he knew it was a human corpse. Far down the hallway, just past an open door, Bobby Birdman Pigeon lay face down in a wall-to-wall puddle of his own blood. Even from fifteen feet away, Brian could see the bloody wound that split his body from the right side of his neck, down just past his sternum. If Zhao hadn't taken him and Pookie off the case, would Birdman still be alive? Or might that have been Pookie lying there instead? Brian looked left, into the living room. There, Jimmy Hung and Stephen Koning were looking over a woman who'd been dead at least twenty-four hours. She was the source of the corpse smell. Rex did that, Pookie said. I guess I was wrong when I thought he wasn't a threat. Brian nodded. I guess so. He sniffed again. That smell of death, sure. But there was something else in this house. Come on, Pookie said. Let's check out Rex's room. They walked down the hall, being careful about where they stepped. This many people in the house was a problem. Feet and hands threatened to destroy evidence, to accidentally trample on some key bit of information that could lead to the perp. But at the same time, everyone knew the hard facts. Murders are usually solved with speed and logic, not with weeks of evidence analysis. If a killer isn't caught in the first 48 hours, odds are he won't be caught at all. They needed as much information as they could get as fast as they could get it. Brian saw blood on the hallway wall, spattering the white paint and some of the picture frames. The picture frame with the most blood had cracks radiating away from a hole just left of center. That new smell grew stronger. To get to Rex's room, he had to step over Birdman's body. Brian reached out with a big step to avoid walking in the puddle of blood. Once on the other side, he started to turn into the open bedroom, but stopped in the doorway. The door, handle ripped off, wood white and splintered where the latch used to be, had a drawing thumbtack to it. The blue-lined notebook paper had been torn out of a spiral binder. A line of frayed holes ran down the left-hand side. On the paper, a symbol. It was the same drawing Brian had sketched after waking up from his hunting dreams. The same drawing found painted in the blood of Oscar Woody and of Jay Perlar. Scrawled beneath the drawing were the words, I dream of a better day. Pooks, he said, his voice barely a whisper. Pookie was at his side, talking quietly. I see it. Keep cool, man. Look at the rest of the room. Rumpled red blankets lay twirled up on a twin mattress. A small, beat-up wooden desk sat next to the bed. Sammy Burzon was under the desk, using a pen to poke through a small garbage can. A little TV sat in the far corner, 
a video game console on the floor in front of it, along with one controller. The room's lone window looked out on a narrow alley filled with square plastic garbage cans. A dirty brick wall on the alley's far side was barely more than an arm's reach away. A three-drawer vertical dresser and a tiny closet were the room's only other features. Brian saw two books on the dresser, the telltale strip of white on the bottom of the spine showing they came from a library, on a pale horse, and the book of three. And then Brian noticed the walls. Walls covered with drawings. Drawings of guns, of people shooting each other, stabbing each other. Drawings of chainsaws, axes, knives and medieval weapons, of torture devices and burning bodies. Most drawings showed a teenage boy with big brown eyes and kinky, dry brown hair. Every drawing showed this boy with rippling muscles and confident movements, using every weapon imaginable to kill Alex Panos, Jay Parlar, Oscar Woody, or Isaac Moses. Brian saw Pookie staring at a drawing of an older man, his legs being broken by the snarling teenage boy. Holy shit, Pookie said. That's a dead ringer for Father Paul Maloney. Brian took them all in, the drawings of pain, the drawings of death. His eyes fell on one, and he could not look away. It was a man with a snake face, the same thing Brian had seen in his dreams. The drawing stared back at him from the wall, as if it wanted to come alive and talk. Narrow yellow eyes seemed to laugh at him. Beneath the face was one word, written in a superhero-style typeface. Sly. Brian, you okay? Pookie's voice sounded distant. Brian's breath finally slid out in a long huff. He breathed in through his nose. That new scent flooded him. So much stronger in here, in the room where Rex had slept and played and drawn. The smell made Brian relaxed and excited all at the same time. It made him want to do something, but he didn't know what that something was. A hand patting his back. Bri-Bri, you okay? Pookie leaned in and whispered. Is it the drawings? Brian nodded toward the snake face. You asked if a sketch artist could draw what I saw in my dream? Well, there you go. Pookie looked at the drawing of Sly. That's messed up, Pookie said. There's a lot of messed up going on around here today. Sammy Burzon finally stood up. He dropped a crumbled piece of tissue into a clear evidence bag. You guys see Birdman's wound? Brian and Pookie nodded. It's terrible, Sammy said. Poor Bobby, eh? You know how strong a guy would have to be to put a hatchet through the clavicle and three ribs? Damn strong, Pookie said. Probably as strong as you'd have to be to rip someone's arm off. Sammy thought, then nodded. You guys thinking this is the same perp who took out Oscar Woody? He'd have to be like a pro football player or a bodybuilder or something. Pookie pointed to the many drawings of the brown-haired muscle boy. That kid looks like a bodybuilder. That kid, sure. Sammy picked up a framed photo off the dresser and handed it over. But not this kid. Brian looked at the photo. It was clearly the muscle boy sketched in the drawings, only much skinnier, much smaller, and much dorkier. Something about that face. Familiar? 
Brian hadn't dreamed of this kid. Or had he? He found himself waiting for some kind of reaction to the photo, but the image did nothing. The picture doesn't affect you, but what if he was here and you smelled him? We have to find this kid, Brian said. He's our man. Pookie took the picture and studied it. Our boy, anyway. Sammy, the gunshot blood in the hall might tell us if Oscar's killer was the one who got shot, right? Sammy nodded. Cool, Pookie said. We also need some DNA from this Rex kid. He had run-ins with Woody and the Boyko gang. Kid lived here. DNA is all over the house, Sammy said. He held up the bag. But I got you covered with this. Pookie leaned in, squinted. What's that, snot rag? Better, Sammy said. Jizz. Still wet, even. Pookie leaned back. That's nasty, Sammy. Nasty. Sammy shrugged. If it's from Rex, it's what you wanted, eh? Listen, I'll get it to Robin, but how about you guys clear out? I got work to do. Brian and Pookie walked out into the hall and carefully stepped over the body once again. Seconds later, they were out of the house, heading for Pookie's car. Brian couldn't quit thinking about that smell. At a level he didn't understand, he now knew his dream hate, his lust for hunting those boys. It all came from Rex Depravdichuk, a boy that Brian had never met, never even known existed until just a few hours ago. What had the scrawny 13-year-old done to bring about the deaths of Oscar Woody and Jay Parlar? Was he sending out thoughts or something? Was he telepathic? That was clearly impossible. And yet there was no question that Brian Clauser was somehow bonded to this boy. They got into the Buick. Pookie had just started the car when a man leaned into the open driver's side window. Shut it off, said Sean Robertson. Pookie turned off the engine, then sat back so Robertson could see both him and Brian. Robertson pushed his glasses higher up his nose. What the fuck are you guys doing here? Our jobs, Pookie said. Officer down, we responded. It's Verdi's case, Robertson said. You were told to stay out of it. Brian suddenly wanted to smack those glasses right off his face. A cop had been hacked to death, yet Robertson was going to keep playing this game? Birdman is dead, Brian said. Verdi's a mess. You gotta put us back on it. I gotta? No, Clouser, what I gotta do is kick your asses out of here. This was madness. What the hell was wrong with Robertson and Zhao? Assistant Chief, listen to us, Pookie said. Rex Depravdichuk had the same symbol in his room that was found at the Woody and Pilar murders. This is all connected. You can't just ignore this. Robertson nodded slowly. He seemed like he was trying to balance understanding against authority. We're not ignoring anything. There's a bolo out for Rex. The entire force is looking for him. We'll get him. Brian leaned over in his seat to get closer to Robinson. There's a bolo out on Alex Panos and Isaac Moses. Has the entire force tracked down those kids yet? Robertson's lips pressed into a thin line. Not yet, but that's not your concern. You're both fresh out of warnings. I see you anywhere near this case, and that includes anything involving symbols, Oscar Woody, Jay Pilar, Bobby Pigeon, Rich Verdi, Rex Depravdichuk, or this house. And I'll suspend you on the spot. Now get lost. 
Robertson stood and walked toward the house. Brian tried to control his anger. Robertson was part of it, whatever it was, and this bizarre cover-up seemed to extend to protecting cop killers. Books, get us out of here. Where to? Brian shrugged. I could go for a beer, Pookie said. The Bigfoot? Leave it to Pookie to find just the thing. They'd been shut out of every angle involving this case. A beer sounded good. The Bigfoot, Brian said. Pookie started the Buick and drove away from the scene. You have been listening to Nocturnal by Scott Sigler. Performed by Phil Giganti. Produced by Empty Set Entertainment. The Nocturnal Audiobook was directed and engineered by Corey Young. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.